Okay, so um, it's an interesting verse this morning, interesting verses. So I'm just going to preach from the psalm verse. <laughs> Um, on the fly. <laughs> you know, uh, I am thankful to be part of this community. Uh, I am thankful. We had uh, many of our juniors MC over at our house on Friday night. Um, and when everybody left, uh, that, that wasn't why we were thankful. But when everybody left, Julie and I just noticed how grateful we were for um, each person and the relationships that we had. And so I'm thankful to be in community. I'm thankful to be able to open scripture, especially difficult and confusing scriptures, and to be able to discern with uh, people and not have to feel like um, we're on our own in this. Um, And so I'm thankful for those things. Uh, One summer when I was at Harding uh, University, I got to spend uh, six weeks in Kenya. And I was going staying with several missionary families, and uh, we had a lot of awesome experiences. Uh, I, uh, I remember going to different Kenyan churches that we visited, and some were like mud wall churches with tin roofs. Some were just out under trees with uh, just with wooden benches, and there's all different settings. Um, everything felt different. I mean, the language was different. Uh, the, the, the feel, the culture, the sights, the sounds were different. And uh, I remember when uh, songs were sung, um, a lady from the, the church would just call out and just start singing, and then everybody would reply back. And that was the way the songs were sung. And I was, from my background, that was, that was weird. Um, that was strange. That was unexpected. But it was also really beautiful and cool, and I just, I just really enjoyed it. Some of you are, are world travelers. Um, welcome back, Daryl. Um, from the world, and um, I'm sure you've experienced uh, all sorts of, of interesting uh, sights and sounds in your travels. Have, has anybody ever gone to a different culture and been a part of a, a church service or religious ceremony that you just thought was, you know, eye-opening or interesting or curious? Any? Yeah. Okay. Any any brief like anecdotal story from that? <laughs> so much. Yeah. Eastern Catholic and Orthodox Church, Orthodox Church in general, interesting to enjoy. It, it almost is an observation yeah. rather than a participation in the West. Yeah. And especially Orthodox, uh, you know, Russian people in the West. What's just like one part of a ceremony in that, that, that worship that stands out to you? Well, they'll always have a choir, mm-hmm. and it's always a cappella, or a choir. Um, I guess what really stands out to me is that people go and do their own thing in certain stations, especially if it's in a cathedral where there's maybe relics to, to worship the light of candle for. But in Orthodoxy, especially, there's a lot of tears, a lot of crying is going on in Orthodoxy. Uh, it's very dark yeah. in, in that setting. Whereas uh, Eastern Catholicism, which is in the same country, it's usually very light. And it's more familiar, even though they're observing the Byzantine right. It's very similar to Orthodoxy too, but yet it's it's a little more familiar. You usually have a homily uh, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So. That, that is so fascinating. I had no idea. So. Um, 
And, and we could give lots of examples of this. Yeah, Tim. Uh, we were in Ireland a little bit, and they had a tenebrae service, which I don't know if it was a cultural thing or just that was put there. But it was the Friday, it was basically like the Friday before Easter, and it was a dark service. So they would have lights in the room, and then you would just start singing worship, and then the room would get darker and darker and darker. And then at the very end, they would turn the lights off, and no one was really allowed to, like, after worship was over to say hi and hello, everyone got up and like solemnly left. And it was, uh, it was powerful, it was yeah. super powerful, but it was also really different than what I'd ever experienced. Hmm. That's a great example. Um, I, I'm fascinated by that. Like, I would love to do different cultural expressions of worship or a church because um, I think it's very interesting. I think it's curious. Uh, imagine, if you will, I like to imagine things, and uh, imagine that we took a storyline film trip, and we just went around around the globe. Um, who, who's been to Pakistan before? Good. I've not, and I'm just going to make up something about what a trip like that would be, so I'm glad no one can confirm or deny. Uh, so let's say that we went, and we were going to go visit a church over there, and, and I, my impression is that there's not a whole lot of churches in Pakistan, but we go, and we visit, and we walk into a room, and there are, there are men and women and children, and, but everything is different. We, we look around, and, and the dress is different. Maybe there are head coverings that we, that we notice. Um, maybe people are sitting in different segments. Maybe they're separated into gender, and the kids are in a different segment. Maybe, um, A, we don't understand the language. Uh, we don't understand the decor of the room. The music strikes up. The singing strikes up. And it, the tone of the music is different. We don't even know how to follow the tune. It's so different. Um, we experience all this, and, and you're observing it. And, and maybe people are getting up and saying things. And we don't know the context. We don't understand what's being said. So we're just taking it all in. Um, what if one of our group, one of our, our lovely Americans, stood up and was like, hold on a second, folks. Hold on. This is not right. First of all, our, our families should be sitting together. And, of course, they don't even understand what we're saying because we're speaking English. But we're going to correct them. We're going to say, hey, families should sit together. Uh, let's get the head coverings off. I don't like those. And, by the way, um, I'm hearing a lot of older folks speak in this, in this group, and I feel like the younger ones need to have a chance, too. So let's correct things, then we can relaunch and get this back on track. You know, what if anything anybody said anything like that in a setting where we went cross-culturally. I mean, oh, the horror, oh, the shame of butting our heads into somebody else's business and world, and then all of a sudden, you know, we think we're going to tell them how they should do things. I mean, that would be completely embarrassing to me. And yet, um, when we approach uh, this book and the stories about the churches uh, that are in it, um, we don't feel that curiosity, or I don't really feel that. Um, we don't feel that difference uh, culturally between us and the stories of this book. Instead, you know, I've grown up with this book. I've grown up reading about the churches and the people in this book. And it's in English, so I, I can understand I can understand all of it, right? I get a, I get a real clear picture of what's going on here. Um, Tongue-in-cheek. Um, and not only... Can I understand it because it's in English and I've, I've read it all my life? But also, um, people have interpreted this book. People, we, this book has made calls on my life. People have said, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is how we're going to do church. Um, and, and I have experienced the repercussions of that. 
both good and bad. And so we, we approach the stories of this church in Corinth, and we've got um, a huge bag of luggage of experiences and history and interpretations of the Bible. And so for us, reading about this Corinthians passage, it is like we need to put a little warning label on it, you know, like, watch out, going to get triggered by this story. But I, I say that just to point out, if we went into some other culture, some other place, some other, if we could take a trip through time, and we were launched and sitting there, I mean, we would just sit there with eyes open, just like, this is strange, this is curious, wow. Our first instinct wouldn't be like fear of, oh, I'm going to have to do things exactly like they do. It would be like, wow, this is interesting to me. Um, I wonder if we can, we can't get rid of hundreds and hundreds of years of interpretation and ways that people have been doing church and forget all about that when we read about the Corinthian church. But I do think we can appreciate the cultural distance that we have between what is going on here and now and what is happening uh, in this Corinthian church. And I think that, that helps me at least um, to approach it with a little bit more curiosity and not so much fear about what's going to happen. Um, that being said, I've been reading about this chapter just to try to make heads or tails of it, and it's, it's really tough. And <laughs> the people that study this for their living and have written books about it, they disagree about what different things mean, and it's unclear, and they're like, this is the hardest part of uh, 1 Corinthians to understand. And not just because it's hard to apply, like, what are we supposed to do with this? It's hard just to understand what he's talking about and why is this a big deal at all. We simply don't know a lot of what's going on behind the scenes. So I'm going to address a few things here that are in the text, and then I want us, I'm going to land in a spot that I think we can kind of grapple with and hold on to, and maybe it'll be different than what you'd expect, but it's what, what I got here, and I trust that the Lord is at work in, in this moment. Um, first of all, um, Tim read a little bit from the rest of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 11, and it's all about communion. And it's about how, actually, it start, we start this one out. If, if uh, Jen, you want to go to the start of verse, uh, of the verse 2, he's like, I want to commend you for what you're doing in this thing. Well, before he gets into the stuff about how they practice the Lord's Supper, he's like, I can't commend you at all about this. And so he really kind of gets worked up in his discussion about the table and, and, and what's happening there. And I just want to point out that there are sections of this letter where Paul is really worked up and he's really concerned about what they're doing. And then there's other sections that, whether they brought it up in their letter to him that we've, been, we've, we've talked about before, they wrote him a letter and he's responding to a lot of this. He's kind of saying, let's, let's think about this. Let's reason together. Let's look at what everybody else is doing. And it's a little bit of a different argument than when he's like, I can't commend anything that you're doing here. You need to stop it and change now. And so even if we read the rest of the chapter, we'd sense that what he's arguing about here with them is different than how he feels about um, some other things that are happening in the church. Verse 3, this is the real catchy one, and it starts with, uh, but I want you to realize um, in the whole head part of this. Okay, that's, it is, this is the hard one, uh, one of the hard ones in this section. Once you realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head, of the, woman, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So three sets of relationships all join with the word head. Now, the interesting thing that is that in English, 
The word head has a literal meaning and then figurative meanings or metaphorical meanings. It's the same in Greek in the language this was written in. Um, and Paul is discussing uh, something to do with people's heads. And so he uses a metaphorical word to try to illustrate what he's wanting them to know. Um, people have taken this word to mean multiple things. What does head mean in this instance? Some people have thought that it means uh, leader or authority. So the authority of man is Christ. The authority of woman is man. The authority of Christ is God, which gets us into all sorts of interesting conversations. And that's probably what some of us have heard before. And that's not super popular um, culturally or maybe not even in in this church to understand it that way. Others have um, read it as the idea of source, as in we have the word headwaters to describe a river, um, where, where a river comes from. And if we look, if Jen, if you'll skip down to verses 12 and 13, I think it could help us understand this a little bit. Um, go one more. And one more. That's the last one. Uh, go, go back up one. You're right. There is no answer to this. No. Um, it's after this because of the angels one. Okay. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Um, <clears throat> so for Paul, very much alive is, in his mind is this picture of God creating the world in Genesis 2. So God makes the world, and in that Genesis 2 story, that's the Adam and Eve story. Go back and, and check it out if, you've, if it's been a while. And so God makes uh, the man. And there's all these animals, they're going around naming them, and there's not, there's not a, a good partner for, uh, for the man. And so the man falls asleep, and God takes one of his ribs, and that's when he makes uh, the woman, Eve, and the man wakes up, and he's like, oh, wow, this is something that's finally like me, that's different than me. So when Paul thinks about creation, he's thinking about this. He's thinking about um, God being the source of life, and for Paul... Um, he says that the whole world was made actually through Christ. So Christ is uh, the creator and man was made first in the Genesis story. And then there's not a, someone suitable to be with him. And so God makes woman from man. So out of man, the source. And then um, the source of Christ is God, which, again, we don't have time to talk about that. But um, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when we look at this verse that says... Um, just as woman came from man, as in Eve was made from Adam, um, so also every man after that, guys in the church in Corinth, um, you are um, born of a woman, and we all come from God. What I think that this verse is about is Paul is showing the interconnectedness of all these relationships. He's using the word head in terms of this is where you come from. This is your source. Um, because he's saying you are not independent of each other. You are dependent on each other. You come from each other. And so treat each other based on that dependence rather than on your independence. Now, the exact situation that he's going to call them to, again, is an interesting one, but I think that's where he's going with that. Um, But let's admit that 
a lot of people have read this differently. And um, you can see where they get that. Like, if someone is reading Scripture and is saying, I just want to faithfully follow God, um, you can see how the idea of headship develops and where it comes from. And, you know, just briefly, what do we do as we read Scripture and we're trying to follow God and we believe He's our, our source of life and wisdom and we disagree about things in major ways? If we are good American Christians, then we divide and we start a new group of people that agree with us and uh, until we change our minds about it and then we go and find a new group and divide again, right? Is it possible to not do that? Um, is it possible to wrestle with things together? Is it possible to say, this is some hard stuff. I can see where you're coming from even if I don't agree with you and I can love and respect you. And I'm not saying that the implications of that um, make it make community really easy. But community is a good thing, but it's not easy. So I'm not saying that in every situation where we disagree um, that we can uh, perfectly walk together in unity. There are implications of that. But is it possible to respect where other people are coming from? Um, I think it's possible. And I know there's a whole lot wrapped into that. But... um, I just think it's a difficult verse to understand. So, uh, One other thing that I think is interesting from the text. It's talking about women and men praying and prophesying when they get together. Now, in a couple of weeks, I get to uh, talk on 1 Corinthians 14 all about prophecy. So that's going to be another poem. Um, but one thing that Paul is not saying here is, hey, by the way, only one of you should be praying and prophesying. You know, women, you shouldn't be doing this or men, you shouldn't be doing this. He's saying that um, everybody's doing this. And the big issue is whether they got their heads covered or not, which is confusing. But he's not saying not to pray and prophesy. And for Paul and for other early Christians, they believed that the promises of God were coming true. And one of the promises is from the book of Joel. I'm going to read it real quick from the book of Acts because they quoted. One of the promises of God is that. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Okay, so it is not in Paul's head to restrict the idea of prayer and prophecy from everybody participating in that. In fact, that's the expectation, is that everybody's going to partake in that. And what does that mean? You know, we don't have a whole lot of time to discuss that, but prayer is, is us voicing our heart to God, and prophecy is the idea, the idea that God wants to communicate with us, too. And so in this church, um, everybody got a chance to play when it came to prayer and prophecy. And I think that's pretty cool to notice. And uh, growing up, I, I never was taught that. Um, <laughs> never heard that one. But um, I love that in, in this church, um, everybody uh, has the opportunity to pray and prophesy if we figure out what that means. So um, <laughs> talk about that in a few weeks. Um, <clears throat> so I want to I want to sit in this next part for a second and get your insight. Ultimately, um, I want to 
I want to be faithful to what I think uh, is going on in, in this text in Corinthians. Um, and what I've come to, what I really believe, is that uh, ultimately this is not for us something um, that is, is focused on the specifics about head coverings or non-head coverings, or about hair length or non-hair length. Um, even though that has been the case in different settings and different cultures, um, and m- more recently in our culture, those things are a very big deal. Um, and not necessarily the head coverings, but hair length. And uh, again, in my college, there was rules about how, how long the hair could be. Anybody else had that those rules for guys? Yeah. Um, my brother got in trouble once for having hair longer than his collar. So there you go. Um, but if we think about through history, through space and time, and all people that have practiced um, uh, the Christian faith, um, there have been numerous ways that people have practiced faith and have understood that this is a cultural thing that's going on about head coverings and the significance of it, or about hair lengths. Uh, I was talking to Julie uh, yesterday about, if you go back and, you've heard of the King James version of the Bible, okay? Go back and look at old King James and, and the people in England in the 1600s um, and this was a very, I mean, this is like ultimate Christian nation kind of, th- kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a theocracy in the time of King James. And look at these guys. They have these long, flowing, curly locks. And, and, and they're well aware of this passage. All that to say is that through time, people in churches have recognized that there is a cultural element to what's happening here um, in terms of covering our heads in worship or not and uh, the length of our hair. So what is important in the midst of this? Um, I think that the theme that we've seen through this whole letter, and I know some of us are, are kind of new to, to this theory, but we're on, cha- we're on chapter 11, not theory, but this book, and we've walked through this whole letter together. If you go back and read it over and over again, Paul is saying, He's not, he doesn't say it in these words, but community is hard. It's hard to be in community together, but instead of dividing up, I want to show you a better way. I want to show you how you can push past these differences, how you can overcome these differences. And ultimately, it's by letting go of some of our pride in how much we've got figured out or how much we know. It's letting go of some of the things that we could do if we want to, because we're free to do them. Um, but when it, when it hurts somebody else, um, we're going we're gonna to rein it in because we're actually, our impulse is, is, is actually to help uh, encourage and love um, our family. Uh, primarily, not just on what we get to do or don't get to do. That's been the theme throughout 1 Corinthians. And I think a lot of what's said in these verses about, is about honor and about dishonor and about shame and about glory. Now, the word glory is kind of a weird one, um, because in this text, uh, he talks about glory, glorifying your source, glorifying where you came from. Um, He even says that a woman's hair is her glory, which is an interesting one. I don't understand that either. Or the part about the angels. We're not even going to go there. Um, I know. I've got some thoughts. We'll have, let's have lunch. Um, But what does it look like instead of to dishonor, which... Um, understandably, we don't know why they felt dishonored if, if they wore or didn't wear the head coverings. We don't know why. But that was part of the, that's a cultural element we just don't understand. 
Um, but something like that was happening. There was dishonor. And what Paul is saying is, you should honor each other. You should glory in each other. And so what does glory even mean? I don't use the word glory a lot unless I'm reading something from the Bible that uses the word glory. Maybe if there was a beautiful sunset. I don't get up early enough for sunrises, but I would see a sunset and say, that's glorious. Yeah, they don't even exist. They're not real. Um, but that's glorious. And I think that it, there's an there's a idea of beauty. There's an idea of um, uh, drawing attention to what is beautiful in something. To, uh, to glorify God is to highlight how beautiful and good um, and faithful he is. So when we sing about God being faithful and good and true, like we are glorifying him. And I think part of what Paul is saying to this church is in the midst of this issue that we don't know a whole lot about or understand, uh, how can you glory in each other? How can you draw attention uh, to what is good and beautiful in each other in this moment um, to work through this particular issue? Um, I really feel like this is at the heart of this whole letter because he's, he's talking to this church that is dividing against each other because of the way they're doing things. Because of the way one group wants to do this and one group wants to do that. And uh, they're not concerned with each other or how it's affecting each other. So once again, he's saying, let's, let's look at each other in this. Let's look at how we are interconnected. Even how we are made, we are dependent on each other. You, you know, we, as men and women, we are interconnected and dependent on each other. So what would it look like? What does it look like for us to draw attention to what is beautiful in someone else. Um, how, do we, how would we do that uh, as a church? How would, we, how would we practice this idea of glory in each other rather than shame or dishonor? How else can we show uh, or draw attention to the beauty in someone else as we are in community together? Go ahead. I think that whenever we first got married, the way that that scripture was used in church, it there was a power differential in our relationship. And I didn't grow up in the church of Christ, so that was a struggle for me. And I feel like what the message has often 
come out or come through with that is that we're doing something to someone or for someone, and there can be good in that, but you don't learn to partner unless you're doing something with someone. Mm. And I think that when we start coming together um, to learn to be partners with each other instead of who's the leader, who's the follower, mm-hmm. I think that opened up a lot more beauty in our relationship. And I felt seen and heard and known. Well. Mm-hmm. I think we do that in church too as Christians. You will come into it, like you said, with, in your analogy, coming into a new country and saying, this is how we should do things. We need to learn how to be partners and do things with each other. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be a better listener and you want to learn from the other person. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think, um, Sarah, you, you touched on this last week, like being a listener, um, valuing what someone else has to say. And, and of course, that, practicing that with our neighbors and not just with each other. But this is, hopefully, this is a place where we can practice that and, and practice um, so that we can be good community to our neighbors, too. And uh, we're going to get a chance uh, this fall to hear some, some of our, our brave souls are going to share some of their stories with, each other, with us as a community. And I think we're going to see the beauty of God in those stories. And what a gift is it um, to get to, uh, to listen to somebody else's story and hear their heart. Um, uh, Patrick, I'll pick on you for a second, but when you shared last week and you, you shared just that it was a tough time, like you honored us um, by sharing your life with us and your struggle with us um, and letting us um, be there for you in some way. That's a gift to each other. And I think that's one way that we... Um, we're able to, to honor each other by saying, this is the real me, this is what's going on. And then being a place where we can listen to each other and appreciate the beauty that is in your story and your story and your story. Um, what else? How else can we? Sarah, yeah. I like how we play musical chairs with the roles and like, you don't have to have been here for a long time to go up and talk about communion or facilitate that or like we're and we're constantly kind of looking to invite people into sharing from the front because there's value in not just having, you know, an audience and leaders, like we're yeah. all leaders together, like shows and we're doing things with each other, not just for each other. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yes, John. During the wedding ceremony they use those words, two shall be one. That just I've never been married, not sure what that means, but that's the way it's going to Yeah. And in the passage, everybody gets crazy about, in, in Ephesians 22, was that your husband's blah, blah, blah. Before that, the one everybody skips is submit to one another out of the reverence of the Christ. They mm-hmm. just conveniently, the men will just jump right over that. Right. Submit one to another out of right. the reverence of the Christ. And, yeah. and you're two or one. So how do you what do you do with that? Right. Uh, so this true. <laughs> yeah, we miss the honor, we miss the, the glory in each other if it's all about who is in power, who is in charge. And I know that as we read these verses, that's in the back of our minds really strongly, especially uh, women. That that has been the story for so long, and so I know that that is there. And so how do we how do we glory in each other? How do we look at that beauty? And, and how are we in this together? Uh, ben and Beth, yeah. Beth, you go first. Yeah. Um, Sarah and I went and saw a documentary about 
talking about belief. Um, and one of the things that it said is that when you're presented with, um, like all of us at our basic like core, we believe that we're good people. What, like, that almost better than the average. Like I'm better than the average person. Right. I'm smarter than the like that's what most of us believe. And when we're presented with evidence to the contrary, that there's usually like two things that we do: we either dismiss the evidence, or we adjust our idea of ourselves and we're like, oh well, now I'm just I'm a crappy person. Um, and the, the movie said like, no, there's a third way where you think I'm still a good person in my core, but sometimes I do things. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because when I, you know, as, I, as I've learned more about racism, there are things that I've heard that were presented to me as like, wow, I'm a terrible person. Like, I fought this, and I'm a terrible person. Um, and so, like, the movie basically said, if we can learn to move past that and kind of lean into the discomfort, not dismiss it, mm-hmm. but lean into it and get past this idea that, like, because someone else, someone else was saying, you hurt me, or um, people that look like you have hurt me, um, that we can still be good people um, and acknowledge that there's things that we do and say that hurt other people um, and deal with them, um, but it doesn't mean that we're terrible. And I thought that that was really um, powerful and something that we need to be practicing. And so, like, as we live in community together, you know, if the women in the storyline are saying something that makes maybe men uncomfortable, um, to lean into that discomfort and and you know, understand where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. That's really good. Then what were you gonna say? I think uh, I think a part of the way in which God is honored and glorified is when communities have the courage. Um, to move forward faithfully when uh, that faithful expression looks different than the faithful expression that we see in the text. Um, like I, this is borderline heretical, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay like saying that both saying Paul got wrong and that we've used Paul to hurt a lot of people. And it's not that he was intentional. Paul's been the best that he can with, like, Paul gets slavery wrong. Like, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. He gets slavery wrong. Um, but it's, it's, and it's not that he's malicious or hurtful, but he's been the best that he can with what he has. Just like we're doing the best that we can with what we have. You know, I got home last week after Sarah preached, and my 18-year-old daughter let me have it. Um, because... <laughs> yeah, you know, after after she had the opportunity to preach for the first time in June and hearing Sarah, like she was just angry at me that I didn't do more to give her more examples of women preaching in her life. Right? And I'm grateful that she had the capacity and the courage to say, You're a bit of an ass, Dad. <laughs> Sorry, they're going to be recorded. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but but like a part of the way in which God is glory, and I think communities is to confess that and say, Ugh, yeah, like I did, I screwed up. I was invested because of what I have wasn't enough, um, and then take the next step of faithfulness 
um, to listen well, as I've already been said, and like to trust that we follow a person. Um, this is the second critical thing. Um, like we don't follow the Bible, we follow the ones to whom the Bible points. And, and, and that Jesus is the one we follow. Mm-hmm. And we're going to muddle, we're going to screw it up. Uh, but just as we want to be gracious to the context of others, we want to be gracious to our own context as we move forward. So. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ben. <clears throat> um, good news for us is that when God looks at us, he sees all that crap. And... Uh, but he loves us and he wants to draw out the beauty in us. He sees his own creation. He sees his own children uh, reflected. And he, he wants to see that beauty grow and that uh, we find that together. The good news is that being in community is not easy. Um, and uh, that we're going to wrestle over things. Uh, reading the Bible is not easy, as I just alluded to. Um, we're going to wrestle with that too. Um, and just living life is not easy. We're just going to bring just the junk of our own life into community. Um, but that doesn't mean that community is not good, that um, wrestling in these ways are not good, and that it's worth pushing through those discomforts um, to come together and uh, to grow together. Um, <clears throat> so I'm thankful for you guys again. I'm thankful for the chance to, to read even a difficult text like this. And may our hearts be open to what God's saying to us.